where we live now because my parents wanted a quiet life away from the city noise. We actually have some monkeys coming sometimes. It was pretty amazing growing up in Kenya and it's kind of what directed me into being an ecologist. The impact of avoided deforestation projects in Kenya can have much more effect. I'm Murray. And I'm Kim. And this is the Nature Based Solutions Podcast. We're back from New York, Murray. Back from New York. Not back from New York tired. Climate Week. No, I, I had a, um, a, a bit of a rest uh, after I landed. So feeling good, feeling enthused and, uh, and energised by the whole thing. And feeling encouraged by the general conversations? Yes. I mean, obviously, it is a market not without its challenges yeah. at the moment. Uh, there's a lot of questions about the impact that projects are actually having on the ground. But I would reflect that it was fantastic to hear about the remaining deep commitments that corporates have in particular to investing in nature-based solutions and I would say that actually the level of, of assessment which is now ongoing on the impact of projects and their performance the focus on quality is an excellent thing as we look to the future and think about the next decade of development of nature-based solutions so as you know, I'm an eternal optimist. You are. But that, but that is the way that I, I came away um, from, from the Climate Week. There's a lot of work to be done. There's a very, very positive story which must be told. There's, yep. At the moment, there are considerations which we must all have about the impact and the quality of MBS projects. But let's learn from what has happened in the past and, and build that into the future. So uh, I'm positive. Good. We just need to move a little bit faster, right? We do. If we're to meet the Paris Climate Agreement targets, we need to be acting super fast. And these nature-based solutions projects, they can't be turned on just yeah. like that. <laughs> they require work on the ground, free prior informed consent with local communities, detailed planning and careful development processes. Consequently, time is of the essence. So let's get going. Yeah, it's a good thing we tend to operate at 100 miles an hour, eh? Well, it's appropriate for a fast-scaling company to operate <laughs> at 100 miles an hour, but really our focus, despite that, our focus does remain on, on quality of the data analytics that we provide. Definitely. Well, one place where you are doing amazing quality work is Kenya. Yeah. So we've been to Brazil, we've been to New York, now we're moving over to Kenya. Yeah, moving to Kenya. What a fantastic opportunity for impact Kenya presents. So a, a country with a very, very impressive uh, biodiversity profile. Everybody knows about the, the wonderful animals of the savannah. Yeah. But there are also some very, very interesting forests in the uh, Eastern Arc Mountains, uh, which I'm very, very interested in. Very high rates of, uh, of endemism. As you know, mountain forests in the tropics are sites of endemism. We've talked about that before, sites of uh, great biological diversity. But it's a place where there's scope for a lot more action. So it's incredibly exciting that Space Intelligence has been chosen by Vera to produce these national maps to support increased red activity yep. in the country. And we're going to hear from our world expert, no less than Professor Ed Mitchard, about the work which he's been driving in the country. And I think we're going to talk about his recent trip as well. Yeah, he went on safari. I'm so jealous. He sounded like he was very busy. He just managed <laughs> he to take He didn't his tell me so much about the safari. <laughs> well, let's find out about the safari. Ed, you lived my dream and you did a safari in Kenya recently. How was it? 
Yeah, it's great. So the third time I've been to Kenya, it was the first time I went with my family. That was really nice. I was there for work. But yeah, we also went on safari and saw elephants and lions and I love seeing giraffes. They're amazing when you see them towering over the trees. Just a not normal perspective you have for an animals. Um, yeah, obviously Kenya's full of very friendly people. So it was uh, great to get to go again. And nice to show your daughter what you work on, hey? Yeah, it was. I mean, she knows daddy works on trees. I <laughs> can't really take her to visit a satellite, um, but it was really nice showing her the tropics. Yeah. And you were there working, as you said. What were you working on this time? Uh, so Space Intelligence works with various project developers in well, East Africa in general. So these are projects which are trying to protect areas of forests that already exist or grow new forests, and restore forests that have been deforested before. Um, but more recently, we've also been working for some of the standards bodies. So for example, VERA, uh, who run the Verified Carbon Standard to set up country level maps that all those projects individually within the countries can use. Um, we won the contract from VERA to do this for Tanzania and Kenya. Um, so I was in Kenya to talk to people in the government, the Kenya Forest Service and all the project developers in Kenya about how we're, we're going to go about producing those maps and making sure they, they meet everyone's requirements. It's a big place, Kenya. What's the land cover like there? What are their challenges as a country? Yeah, I mean, if you look at Kenya from a satellite image, it doesn't look very green, to be honest. It's a relatively dry country, but it has a lot of trees. And we think that nearly half of the country counts as forest. Um, it's mostly savanna woodland. So there's lots of agriculture with trees, lots of grassland with, with trees dotted across them. And then there are some very densely forested areas, uh, mostly around the, the hills and kind of volcanic mountains of the Rift Valley. Uh, actually commonly called water towers in Kenya because there are these uh, forests in these big mountains that come out of the, the East African plains and yeah they provide a lot of water it's where the rivers come down from because the forests uh, generate water and there's clouds sitting on top of them and they rain and they're, they're very important to the farming economy of Kenya. Amazing yeah I can just picture it and what kind of flora and fauna can you expect to find in Kenya what are we trying to protect there? Uh, yeah, so Kenya has all the charismatic big mammals you think of of sub-Saharan Africa. So there's masses of buffalo and zebra and then and giraffe and then all the things that eat them, the lions and leopards and cheetahs and so on. And it's relatively easy to see some of those in some places. Um, but East Africa is quite unique for having a really high wildlife population, but also a really high human uh, population. And those two mostly live side by side, but there's a, a lot of conflict that does happen. For example, elephants cause a, a lot of damage to, to crops in the regions and hippos run over people and, and kill them and this, this kind of thing. So managing that human wildlife conflict is a, a major thing that conservation projects in the, the area try to deal with. And space intelligence focuses mostly on forests, right? And I suppose that's the work that you're doing there as well. What are the challenges that the government's recognising in terms of protecting that forest, investing in that? Yeah, I mean, there's historically been a lot of deforestation in Kenya. So particularly the, the tall forests, these dense forests around the hills have been extensively logged with their, their tip for timber and fuel wood. And then the savanna woodlands also, there's been a lot of logging that's happened there, um, particularly for the main way that food is cooked in Kenya is still through charcoal or, uh, or wood harvested directly from savannas. And clearly with a, a big and growing population, that's had a negative effect on the, the woody cover of Kenya. Kenya's also had a lot of success in reforesting in recent years. It's grown up plantations and uh, woodlots and other ways of trying to produce a sustainable supply of timber or protect forests, particularly for their, their water supply is a really important thing in Kenya. So it's kind of had, it's aware of the challenges and there is uh, rampant deforestation and degradation in Kenya. Definitely needs more, 
more funding and more resources to go into that. But they have had success in terms of reforestation as well. One of the other problems with Kenya is that it's a, a very big country. It's not a wealthy country, though it has some wealthy people and some it has a thriving tech sector, for example. Fundamentally, the rule of government is stronger and weaker in, in some places, and they, they lack data on how to basically enforce laws and enforce uh, rules that try and or funding mechanisms or incentives to help people reforest or avoid deforestation. I guess that's one of the things in general that, that space intelligence and others can help them with is having good maps of where the trees are and how that's changing to help target activities to, to stop deforestation or do restoration. Yeah, is there quite a lot of interest then from the international community in supporting these these projects, these red projects? Yes, there is. I mean, I find it a bit frustrating as a, uh, a lover of wildlife and forests in general that a lot of the funding for avoided deforestation goes to the big tropical forest countries. So a lot of it goes to Brazil and Indonesia, which actually have fairly competent governments and have forests that are incredibly valuable, these tall tropical forests, but they're not the only forests in the tropics by any means. And some of these poorer countries, such as Kenya, which we're focusing on here, still have a lot of trees, they store a lot of carbon, there's a lot of biodiversity to protect. There's a lot of people who rely on those forests. Uh, lots of the forests of Brazil, for example, have very few people living in them. Uh, good to protect them still, but the impact of avoided deforestation projects in Kenya can have much more effect in terms of uh, helping people who are impoverished um, have roots out of poverty and give them more opportunities and, and so on. So I'm very keen for there to be more funding for, for these kinds of areas. The work we're doing in Kenya is kind of uh, associated with the government, but we're really doing it to support these private project developers that develop what's called voluntary carbon credit projects. These are projects that protect forests that were likely to be deforested uh, due to pressure from international corporations or smallholder agriculture or charcoal uh, harvesting, for example, and uh, create activities to try and reverse those threats. So for example, they if the pressure in the local area was for producing charcoal, they might work with communities to find better ways of producing fuel for their fires, for example, growing sustainable woodlots of fast flowing timber or moving people over to other ways of, of cooking their food. Mm -hmm. um, and the result that the, the forest would stop being lost or would start to regenerate. These projects all have to, in order to gain carbon certification and be able to generate these carbon credits, um, have to produce two numbers. They have to work out a baseline rate of deforestation, which is what would have happened without the project, and compare that to what's actually happened uh, after they've they've done their activities for, for five or ten years, enabling them to sell carbon credits. Um, up until recently, that's all been done by the projects. It's a lot of work for the projects to do, and there's also sometimes questions in the market about the integrity of allowing projects to produce their own baselines. I mean, the ones that they do produce follow methodologies and they're audited by independent auditors. But nonetheless, when you give project developers choices between different ways of producing baselines, there's always going to be an incentive for them to choose the way that produces the most carbon offsets. Of course. So that's uh, changed. Um, Vera, the, the people who run the verified carbon standard based on advice from people like me and others uh, have now moved everything across to something which they're, consol they're calling the consolidated red methodology, red standing for reducing emissions from deforestation and degradation. And in that they are contracting companies like Space Intelligence to produce the data for these baselines for whole countries. And then projects within it will get their baseline information allocated to them by VERA. So they'll have no choice about it. 
Uh, the project developers I chatted to in Kenya were actually mostly very positive about this, um, partly because adding integrity to the market is a, a good thing for them. They want to sell carbon credits and they want those to be valuable so that they can do their activities in the communities. But also they don't, they're not experts in producing baselines. It's quite a technical business. East Africa in particular, it's very difficult to make accurate satellite maps of where the forests are and how they're changing. And they'd be quite happy for something like Space Intelligence to produce those and them just to be allocated it rather than having to do the work themselves. Yeah, I imagine it's very complex because the whole country doesn't look the same, does it? And you really need that ecological expertise to understand the different terrain. And that is shown in the maps, right? Yes, it's also the seasonality is a real killer somewhere like Kenya. So you have a, a strong dry season where all the trees drop their leaves in most of the country. The grasses generally die or are burned and areas with and without trees look very similar in certainly in optical satellite imagery, which is a bit like a camera. Then the wet season, the reverse happens and everything is green. The trees have leaves on, but so does the grass. And again, differentiating between areas with trees and areas that are just grassland is, is very challenging. Uh, space intelligence, we use that kind of optical data, but we take advantage of looking at that, that whole season of the, the green to brown cycle. But we also use satellite radar data, which uh, sends pulses of microwave radiation sideways at the surface and kind of listens for what comes back. And again, if you have a time series of that over the year, it helps you see where the, the trees are. There's quite a lot of expertise and, well, I've spent a lot of time in the region as have others in the, the team and measured a lot of trees and you need that kind of expertise to really uh, get a good understanding of how to use that information to map where the trees are and the trees aren't. Yeah, you need to know what you're looking at, which I imagine is harder than it sounds. <laughs> it is, there's all kinds of fun complications in, in East Africa. Um, you get tall things that are green and not necessarily trees. You can get things like palms or bamboo, which are not woody and, and wouldn't count as trees. Okay. You get fun things like termite mounds that can <laughs> also reflect radar pretty effectively, a bit like a small tree would. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's non-trivial. You'll need to know what you're, you're looking at. Yeah. Um, it's the old uh, argument, isn't it, that computer, computers and AI only get you so far, then you need a human to look at it and go, actually, that's something else. So that's the expertise here, right? Yeah. I mean, the, AI is only as good as the, the training data sets you put in. So in our case, we have a lot of time spent from, from people in our team, including two people in our team who are from Kenya, um, know the areas very well. And we look at the satellite images and decide whether an area is forest or not forest, and split into different types of forest. And those kind of areas that we trust really well are used to train an algorithm to then produce maps over the, the whole of Kenya. And that's how we make maps of, of forest cover, the areas that are forest and not forest at different points in time. And obviously using, looking at those two different points in time is how you get the, the maps of where stable forest is compared to deforestation, yeah. which is ultimately what the, the baselines are, are based on. Can you give us a kind of top line example of what Kenya's doing? Is it generally improving? Has it still got a lot of work to do? Are things getting worse? Well, I haven't got the final answer yet, Kim. <laughs> we haven't finished the project. Um, it's a mixed picture, I think. There's definitely areas which are, are greener now than they were in 2013. Um, there's been a lot of recovery of forests or new forests planted. And there's definitely areas where degradation and deforestation have dominated. And I suppose part of the, the things our maps will be used for is to to target projects and activities towards those areas of higher risk for forests. Normally the best predictor of where forest is likely to be lost next is it's next to forest that has just been deforested. Those are the patches of forest we should focus avoided deforestation projects on. Yeah, and that's reassuring for investors because it shows them that path and it makes it as robust as it can possibly be, right? 
Yeah, absolutely. I'm a strong believer in data. You'll be <laughs> shocked to hear. <laughs> no, really? <laughs> <laughs> and I think we should be um, yeah, targeting avoided deforestation projects to areas of higher risk. Absolutely. And we should be making sure we're only restoring forests in areas that have been deforested. Uh, ideally, quite a long time ago, we don't want to get into a situation where people are cutting down trees purely to get the money for reforesting them. That's, that's not the deal. No. <laughs> um, I personally would rather in this, this world we're in right now, where deforestation and degradation are rife, that we put a lot more money into stopping that than into restoration. Restoration is important, but it's expensive and takes a long time for those forests to grow into something biodiverse and uh, kind of high carbon storage and we have lots of biodiverse and high carbon storage forests right now that's being cut down at the similar rate as it was 10 years ago which mm, is a, a so tragedy. heartbreaking but it's a good motivator right for all the data work that's going on at space intelligence you can you can see the difference that's being made absolutely i mean if you can't map something you don't have the data then you you can't target any payments to, to stop it you can't target the activities you're not going to get payment by results so it's why i co-founded space intelligence was really to get the methods we have in we developed in academia over decades to make sure those uh, became more used in this market and particularly focusing on places like kenya where there are open data sets of deforestation uh, which are, are used to help target uh, money they're used by the uk government for example but those often don't work very well in places like east africa with these dry seasonal forests we know there are ways of mapping, producing very good maps of these areas, but I wanted to make sure those were used so that areas like Kenya weren't forgotten in the carbon markets. I love talking to Ed. He's so interesting. I feel like I've had a TED talk, an Ed talk. An Ed talk. I love that. Okay, <laughs> we could have a, a, an Ed talk series. <laughs> Shamelessly ripping off the TED brand. I'm sure we'll get a note from their, from their lawyers. Cease, cease, cease and desist. Uh, but Ed's an intellectual powerhouse and it's really fantastic to hear him so eloquently describe this need to translate a huge body of work in the scientific literature, which he has led, into practice. So taking academic work, improving the level of technology readiness to deploy it with, with users around the world. That's what I'm super excited about us doing at Space Intelligence. Yeah. And of course, who better to do it than Ed? Well, Ed doesn't just do it by himself. There is a whole team behind Ed. There is indeed. <laughs> there is indeed. And so uh, he's, a, he's a fantastic leading scientist. But we are now translating all of that scientific body of work into technology. So we have a superb engineering team creating the analytical frameworks, which our scientists then go and use to create the mapping products. So that's the work of a scaling technology business to take this core science but turn it into scalable tools and technologies that we can deploy across the world. That's exactly what we're doing in, in Veron. There's some wonderful people in the team. You, you know, uh, you've, you've met them and um, we've had several of them uh, so far on the podcast. There's more still to come. There are. Yeah. Well, on the podcast today, I'd like to introduce Joss and Joy. Yeah. Joy Kamani and Joss Wardley are so lucky they grew up in Kenya and they're part of the team that's delivering the Kenya map for Vera. And so I caught up with them in the pub, which is where all the best conversations happen, <laughs> <laughs> and asked them about their experiences. My grandfather owned uh, land just near a beautiful hill, so it was nice to just go around. So yeah, it was really nice. Did you feel quite connected to the land? 
Yeah, I would say so. The food, I miss the food. Oh my god. What What was your favorite meal? Uh, I wouldn't say I have a favorite one, but they are more naturally grown, if you know what I mean. They're not really processed, so we grow them ourselves. We plant, plant the seed, we grow them, and then we eat them. So it kind of feels a more, it's like a better process than like just buying stuff from the supermarket without knowing what process it was under. Yeah. And Joss, did you grow up in Kenya or did you move to Kenya? Yeah, so I was born and grew up in Kenya, but both my parents are British, so they would force me to come to the cold once a year <laughs> um, to see my grandparents and stuff. It was pretty amazing growing up in Kenya, and it's kind of what directed me into being an ecologist, um, seeing all the different biomes that Kenya has. Um, there's so many, and I know Joy can back me up on that. Yeah, yeah, so uh, where actually I, uh, where we live now, because my parents wanted a quiet life, away from the city noise we actually have some monkeys coming sometimes really yeah to eat the bananas <laughs> wow and you see them <laughs> which is fun but we have uh, a lot of uh, national parks and reserves yeah because because you have that kind of stereotypical you go to kenya for safari you see giraffes you yes. see lions yes. is that fair or is that just part of what kenya has to offer it's just part of what kenya has to offer uh has so many things that people are nice there's so much to see a lot of biodiversity and fortunately the forests start increasing but in some communities there's some people really working hard to grow these trees like mm -hmm. the mangroves along the coast which is good. So what inspired you to move into the role that you have at Space Intelligence? What was your kind of career path to get there? So growing up my dad used to work uh, for the Survey of Kenya so in the Ministry of Lands and so he used to talk about this GIS and maps and I was like oh that's cool and then so I did that in uni so he inspired me and he was also a geography teacher and then my brother is a software developer, so I got into that too. And when I was looking for a role, I was looking for something that combines both of them. And that was space intelligence. <laughs> How did you feel about moving to Edinburgh? Because you've already mentioned the weather and the food. <laughs> I imagine it was quite a shock. It was a shock, but I'm adjusting. Uh, the move was good, the company really supported me and my colleagues and friends here were really helpful showing me around because some things are just so different. I came in on the 3rd of January, so in the middle of winter, so it was like, ooh, so freezing. That's brutal. <laughs> <laughs> and what about you, Joss, because you grew up with loads of animals on your land, didn't you? Yeah, so um, my parents, my dad's a very keen gardener, so he said <laughs> we, need, we need an area with less less city and more more garden so um yeah we've when i was a kid we raised um a dica which is kind of like a small antelope um enjoyed laughing <laughs> that's amazing um, but yeah we've big on dogs a lot of big dogs um and like joy said we also have monkeys come in the garden from time to time which is pretty amazing and you're the ecologist yeah. And was that inspired by growing up in Kenya, do you think? Definitely, definitely. Um, I remember when I was a kid, my parents always used to take me on game drives and safari parks. Um, and then when I grew older, I came to the realization that maybe this might not be around much longer. So I kind of dedicated my life to trying to stop that. And do you feel like your work at Space Intelligence is kind of fulfilling that dream? Yeah, definitely. I think when I was doing my uh, university degree, I realized that you kind of need sustainability. You can't just 
kick out everyone and just say this is now conservation needs sustainability and I think space intelligence has that same idea of working towards sustainability where we can have conservation and growth of human population. And it must be nice for you both to work on Kenya maps in your role as well. Yes. Talk about specialist <laughs> knowledge. How do the Kenyans feel about efforts to conserve natural resources like that? Is there a huge support for it or are people still concerned? What would you say? People are concerned about it actually even if you look at like Twitter and LinkedIn, people are talking more about carbon credits, afforestation, afforestation. So I would say Kenyans really want to conserve the environment, their biodiversity, their flora and fauna. Yeah, definitely. I, I think it also brings, as much as it's beauty, it also brings a huge uh, amount of tourism to the country. Like you said, people coming. Um, to go on safaris and stuff like that, and it's really beneficial. Have you ever been on a safari camp? No, I would absolutely love to. I was talking to Ed about it, and I told him he's just living my dream. But maybe <laughs> one day. It's just, it's a long way to go, and I have two children, so I need to save up. But I imagine it's just a magical experience. You guys are very lucky. It is. You, it's like something you've never seen before. I think you. the best time is to go during the wild beast migration okay because it only happens in that part of the world so just the wild beast migrate from Tanzania to Kenya and back and what time of year is that uh, maybe May to September but I'm not quite sure yeah I think May to September that's my goal for next year Joy yes so if you could sum up what you would like people to know about Kenya and why it's so important okay. the work that space intelligence is doing there among as well as others what would you say? Oh, so space intelligence is mapping Kenya and detecting where there is forest loss throughout the years, which I think is important because we can uh, note down the causes of the deforestation and actually stop them from happening further. It also will help with carbon credits for people who have projects maybe throughout the world and even in Kenya. And also please do visit Kenya because it's a wonderful place. There's a lot to see as a tourist and the food is nice, the people are nice. And I think that there's a huge market for any business actually to grow. Um, yeah, I agree with Joe. I think that the country itself is growing <coughs> so much in such little time. And it's amazing to see, but it's also amazing to see tourists not only come just for game drives and safaris, but also to come and see the coast, which is amazing, um, especially the mangroves. Fantastic to have a couple of people from Kenya on the team doing the mapping project in Kenya. It's such an international endeavour at this company, it really is. It really is. We're based in Edinburgh and yet we have, it's an international city, we have people from 11, 12 different countries now in our, in our business. So science is by definition an international endeavour. Developing monitoring nature-based solutions is an international endeavour and I, I think the composition of the team represents that. Very diverse team drawn from a range of, of countries. But brilliant that we, we win this, this, this work in, uh, in, in Kenya and have two people from that country. And so nice for them to be so inspired by working on something that they really care so deeply about. You know, that Joss was talking about growing up going on game drives and realising that that might not be around forever. And yeah. So he wants to be part of protecting it. Yeah, that, that really is wonderful. Very much a mission-driven company, and that's what Pete draws people to, to come and work with us, whether you're joining a team or uh, in a partnership or as one of our, our clients. 
I guess we'd say that we also do Map Scotland. That's right. To support natural capital asset tracking. So, and, yeah. and that will include uh, supporting the development of nature-based solutions here. And so they said, these are global challenges. Yeah. Um, we support the home team, <laughs> of course. <laughs> but yes, it's great to hear from, from Joss about his experience in, in Kenya. And really what I'd love to see as a CEO of this business is just taking that idea that we've got people who are fundamentally motivated to learn from the past and create a better future and use this technology and these data sets to enable that. That's what I want to do with this business. I think that's a great reason for running a business. It is. Yeah. It is. Gets you up in the morning. Sure does. Well, we've done a wee world tour in the first three episodes. Next week, we're going to talk more about carbon markets. Fantastic. So I've spoken to an expert who can explain it all to us. Brilliant. And I will catch you next week. Thanks for listening. Subscribe now to the Nature Based Solutions podcast on all major podcast players out every Wednesday for a 10 part series finishing just before COP28. And if you do enjoy our chat, then check out some of the other podcasts that we've recorded Edinburgh Space Data Capital, Scotland's Secret Space Race, Great British Liftoff, and Inspired by Space. Uh.